turn to, flip to, scroll to the book of Amos chapter 3. The book of Amos chapter 3. Amos is not the easiest book in the Bible to find. Uh, If you look in your table of contents, you'll notice that it's in the Old Testament. It's sort of in the back third of your Old Testament. It's a small book, but we're going to be looking at one verse from there this morning as our launch pad into the message this morning. Amos chapter 3, verse 3. Before we get there, let me let you know what we're doing here at Thrive these days. We're doing a series here at Thrive. It is called Known and Loved. Everyone say Known and Loved. This is a series on relationships. It's because we absolutely believe that nothing affects your happiness, nothing affects your success more than the quality of your relationships. If you believe that, say amen. And that's why in this series called Known and Love, we're looking at nine keys to happier, healthier, better relationships, whether it's in your home, whether it's people at work, whether it's with people that you call your friends in your social circles. Uh, And so in these past several weeks, we've been looking at a number of keys that people in our church have been applying and finding it actually makes a real difference in their lives. In week one, we talked about prioritizing your relationships and all that that means. In week two, we looked at what it means to resolve conflict the smart way is that we all go through conflicts in our relationships. No close relationship is exempt from conflict. The question is not do you go through conflict, it's about how you go through conflict, how you deal with it. And we talked about how you can deal with it in a healthier way. We call dealing with conflict the smart way. In week number three, we looked at letting go of grudges. Pastor Charlene did a powerful job of teaching us how to do that. Week number four, we had Pastor Tim come and share about speak life-giving words. Everyone say life-giving words. Turn your neighbor and say, I want to speak life-giving words to you. You want to speak words that build people up, not tear people down, that help people according to their needs. Last week, we looked at something very, very interesting. We looked at the first thing you should look for in a life partner. And hopefully I found this is that I found that those who benefited from it weren't just the single people, it was the married people as well. Uh, really, really interesting. And we said this is that the first thing that you want to look for when it comes to a life partner is not their looks. Uh, it's not how much money is in their bank account. It's not what kind of car they drive. It's not their hairstyle. But the most important thing you look for is their character. I won't say character. And in that message last week, we looked at nine essential traits that you want to make sure that a person has before you marry them. And if you are married, it's about encouraging you guys to develop more and more the nine essential character traits we talked about. Because as we talked about last week, your personality is God's gift to you, but your character is your gift to God. And it's also your gift to your spouse. Amen. And so with that in mind, I hope many of you have been encouraged as we've been looking at this series together. Here's the question today, because last week we talked about finding a life partner, what to look for, the first thing to look for. Today, I want to ask you this question. What, is, what if you are in this situation today? What if you find yourself in a place where you are considering or already dating or maybe even married to someone that you think has excellent character? But despite them being trustworthy, despite them being encouraging and positive, despite them being, you know, resilient, despite them being respectful, despite them having no real issues with anger or addictions, that despite having great character, that for some reason, despite all those things, you feel like there's still something missing in your relationship with one another. Something still doesn't seem right. Today, we're going to talk about why that might be the case. And this message I'm here to share with you, I hope you take some good notes this morning, This message is called The Compatibility Factor. The Compatibility Factor. Everyone say compatibility. We're talking about what compatibility is 
and what compatibility is not. A lot of people misunderstand what compatibility is. We're going to talk about that today. See, if you're single in this place and you want to get married, this message you will not want to put down because you are going to be helped by what we're going to be talking about this in this message this morning. If you're married and you find that there are areas in your relationship with your spouse where you guys just for some reason don't click, then I think this message is going to give you some insight into why that is. And at the end, we're going to tell you what you can do about that. If you've got kids and you're scared of the day when they ask you, hey, dad, mom, what should I look for in a life partner? And you're scared because you don't know what they're going to say. Well, this message I hope is going to help you and equip you to have some good wisdom to teach your kids about looking for a life partner. Are you guys ready to go? Here we go. Take some good notes this morning. See, key number six in our known and loved relationship series is when looking for a life partner, consider compatibility. Consider compatibility. See, Google Dictionary defines compatibility as the state in which two things are able to exist or occur together without problems, without conflict. I think that's a pretty good definition. Today, I want to I adjust that definition to talk about it in the context of relationships. Here is a definition for relationships or compatibility in relationships. You can write this down. Compatibility in relationships is about how easily and naturally two people get along. Based largely on your personalities, largely on your background, it's about how much two people naturally fit and relate together. Look at Amos chapter 3, verse 3 with me. We're going to read it from the New King James Version first. Why don't you read this translation with me? What does it say? It says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? You know, sometimes when I'm reading scripture, when I'm reading the Bible, and I'm not really for sure, for sure understanding what it's saying, sometimes I find it helpful to read it in another translation. So here's the message paraphrase of Amos chapter 3, verse 3. What does it say? Can you read it with me, church? What does it say? It says, do two people walk hand in hand if they aren't going to the same place. See, what's Amos 3 verse 3 saying? It's talking about agreement. It's talking about unity. In particular, it's talking about compatibility. Everyone say compatibility. And see, there's two very common mistakes that people tend to make when it comes to compatibility. We're going to go through each of them today, and you're going to learn that this message is a lot about the mistakes that I've made in my past life. And if you can be helped by the mistakes I've learned and not repeat them, repeat them yourself, then that is going to be a good thing as far as I'm concerned. See, mistake number one is this. Mistake number one that people often make when it comes to compatibility is focus only on compatibility and ignore the importance of character. A lot of people do that. A lot of people, they just focus only on, oh, she's so hot. Oh, he's got so much money. Oh, we get along so well. And you focus on that chemistry. But see, this is the thing. I made this mistake before. I went to a relationship where I was only focused on how things felt. I was only focused on how compatible I thought we were, how physically attracted we may have been to one another, how much we liked the same bands or the same TV shows or the same movies, or how we felt when we were around one another. But I didn't take the time to really consider the other person's character. And in the course of that relationship, on a number of occasions, and definitely toward the end, uh, I was hurt quite badly as a result. And I've learned something from that, is that no matter how much you feel you are compatible with someone else, if the character of either one of you is not good, if you are missing any one of the nine traits that we talked about last week, then your relationship is going to be a hot mess. By my, but what I'm saying is that, is that it's going to be like fireworks at the beginning. Wow, whoa, oh, ooh, ah. And, but then at the end, it's going to be this deadly explosion. Is that it's sweet at the very beginning, but then suddenly, because of a lack of character, it turns sour. 
That's what happens when you focus only on compatibility and you ignore the importance of character. Why don't you write this down? Compatibility is important, but it's not as important as character. See, in fact, a lot of marriage counselors, they will often say that couples, especially couples, couples that are in trouble, married couples that are not doing well, they will often have this tendency to blame their problems on what they call a compatibility problem. They'll say stuff like, we're just not compatible. When in fact, these marriage counselors will say, actually, when I look more closely at the problem, it's not really a compatibility problem. It's actually more a lack of character. The problem is not so much that they have so different likes and dislikes. The problem is that each of them is selfish and immature. The problem is not that they're built so differently that they're not compatible. The problem is that they just haven't learned to be humble and to let go of their pride. And so when they say stuff like, we're, not just, co- we're just not compatible, a lot of marriage counselors will look at that and go, that's just an excuse to get out of the marriage. Because that's the thing, is that when you focus only on compatibility, and you don't focus on the importance of character, you end up with a hot mess kind of relationship. And I don't want you to be in that kind of boat as your pastor. And so that's what the first thing you want to know, is the first mistake is you focus only on compatibility, you ignore character, but you got to remember, character is actually even more important than compatibility. There's a second mistake that people tend to make when it comes to compatibility, write this down, is that they focus only on character and they ignore the importance of compatibility. It's the opposite. I've made this mistake as well. After going through that first mistake of focusing only on compatibility, like a pendulum, I swung to the other end, to the other extreme, and I thought to myself, when I find that next person that I'm going to be with, that as long as she's got good character, and as long as I've got good character, that is all we need. All we need is good character. And though I didn't go through the same kind of hurts and heartbreak that I went through the first time around when I only focused on compatibility, I found this is that when I only focused on character and I didn't even consider compatibility very much, there was this nagging feeling that something was missing. And I didn't know why. I was like, what's wrong? Like, she's such a good person. She makes such a good wife. She's such a good character. She, she's got such good character. But what's wrong? What, what, why don't I have any peace about being together? And, and when, I, when I looked at it more closely, in the end, I realized it wasn't a question of who was right and who was wrong. It was more a question of are we right for one another? It was a question of compatibility. And see, here's the thing you should write down. Character is the first thing to look for in a life partner, but it's not everything. Turn neighbor and say, it's not everything. You need to consider compatibility. See, by looking for someone with character, these nine traits we talked about last week, what we're telling you to do is look for someone with character, because if you find someone with with character, you are going to significantly reduce the chances that your relationship is going to end up on the 6 p.m. news. You're going to reduce your chances of your relationship, in other words, being one where you marry someone who's going to later cheat on you, or someone who's going to be verbally or physically abusive toward you, or someone who's going to abandon you completely, because when that person's character is good and your character is good, that the chances of it happening are much, much less. That's why you have to focus on character. But just because you find someone with character, it doesn't mean you're going to be super, super happy together either. See, there's another very important factor to consider, and it's called compatibility. See, a lot of people, they say that compatibility is a myth. They say, you know what, no matter who you are, you're a unique person, and ever, if, 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 when you match up with any, any single person, there's always going to be huge issues to deal with and to work through. And that is true to some extent. But you've got to understand this as well, is that there are some people in this world, of the 7, 8 billion people in this world, there are some people that you will more naturally get along with than others. And admittedly, sometimes it's not because of anything to do with your moral character or how good of a person you are or how good of a person that person is. 
but it has actually more to do with things that are a bit beyond your control, like your personality, like your likes, your dislikes, your age, your background. And you're never going to find anyone who's 100% compatible with you, but that doesn't mean you are equally compatible with everybody. Amen? That doesn't mean that you're equally incompatible or compatible with everyone. The fact is, if you don't believe me, just think of this. If you think character alone is enough, then what's stopping you, if you're a 25-year-old woman, young woman, what's stopping you from marrying a 30, or sorry, an 80-year-old man who's got excellent character? If, if, If all you need is character, if that's all you need, what's stopping you from marrying someone who doesn't even speak the same language as you but has excellent character? It's because deep down we know that compatibility matters. And so that's why today I want to tell you there are two things we need when it comes to compatibility. Number one is we need a healthy understanding of the importance of compatibility. We don't want to overblow it. We don't want to you know, completely ignore it, but we want to put it in its right place. We also want uh, to have a good, healthy understanding of the nature of compatibility. What is compatibility in relationships? And that's what we're going to talk about for the rest of today. How to consider compatibility in a healthy way when it comes to relationships. Why don't you write this down today? Here's point number one. If you want to consider compatibility in a healthy way when it comes to relationships, here's the first thing. Realize that compatibility does not require that the two of you be identical, but that the two of you complement one another. Amen. Amen. See, what does that mean? See, recently my my parents, they celebrated their 43rd wedding anniversary. 43 years. 43 years. And, you know, uh, my my dad and my mom, they've they've had their ups and downs in their relationship as any relationship would. But they, I would say, on the whole, have a great marriage that's lasted as long as it has. And I can tell you this, is my dad and my mom, they are complete opposites in so many ways. You know, my dad, he likes to lead. My mom, she likes to follow. My, my dad likes to be on the stage and in the spotlight. My mom prefers to be quiet in the background. My dad likes to take risks. My mom is extremely careful. You know, my dad focuses on the big picture. My mom is extremely detail-oriented. My dad is louder. My mom is quieter. It's like they are opposites in so many different ways. But for some reason, it's as if their differences make them compatible weird. It's like their differences actually make them a good team. Is that their strengths complement one another, and they find that they balance each other's weaknesses out pretty well. And see, now, as opposite as my parents are, I can also say this. It's not that they're not completely different in every way. They're not completely opposite in every way. In fact, there are some ways that they are very much aligned in some key areas of life. For example, they, they spend time with family because for them, both of them, family is very, very important. For both of them, they've got a very similar style of parenting. The way that they treated us, the way that I grew up in that home, they had very similar approaches. They both emphasize being smart with money. They enjoy playing music together. In fact, that's how my parents met. Uh, You know, my my mom was the the choir pianist. My dad was the choir conductor in the church where they met. And, you know, one day they decided to make beautiful music together, and I was the result of that beautiful music. And see, see, see that, that that's that's how they are compatible. Is that they they had these really sim- some similarities in some in some ways that really meant something to them. And not just was their music something they had in common. They also had a faith in common. Is that and in fact I'd say this is that over the past forty three to forty six years that they've been going to church together, I could probably count on two hands the number of times they've ever missed a Sunday service, not just in a year, but in forty three years. 
That's, that's how much, you know, they, they you know, just, you know, no matter what, we're going to church, we're going to take our kids to church, I don't care how we, how we feel, we're going to go there. And, and, and it's because they're very compatible in that way. And, you know, I've, I've learned from my parents is that compatibility is not just about how similar you guys are. It's also about how your differences balance one another out. It's about how your differences complement one another. And maybe that's why, you know, when, when I remember my wife Charlene and I, when we were getting engaged, wow, what, 17, 18 years ago, I remember our families, we all got together in this restaurant. It was the most stressful dinner of my life. And I remember, you know, my dad, he, he, he was at the table, and, and he gave a speech at the table. There's just only seven of us. It was kind of awkward because, you know, it was, it's a speech in front of seven people only. And, and he said this to me that I'll never forget. He said it to both Charlene and me. He said, JB and Char, Charlene, the two of you are like two strings on, on a guitar. You have different frequencies, and you're not identical. But the question is, as different as the two of you are, can you make good music together? And see, I, I think Shar and I, we make pretty good music together. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, but it's not because we're exactly the same. We're actually pretty different in a lot of ways. But we complement one another. Why don't you read 1 Corinthians 12, 21 with me in a big, loud voice. Could you say it right now? It says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. See, what, what can we learn from all of this? Is that, first off, when you're looking for a life partner, don't just look for someone who's exactly the same as you. That would be gross. All right? That would be weird. Uh, and you're not going to find that person. Could you imagine a second JB? Could you imagine me being married to a clone of me? That would be gross, right? That's just weird. But, but see, not, not the thing, don't just look for someone who's exactly the same as you, but at the same time, look for someone who's aligned with you in the most important areas. And see, what are those most important areas? We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But here's point number two. If you want to consider compatibility in a healthy way, point number two is this. Don't just consider one area of compatibility. See, I made this mistake as well. I had a friend who was a girl who was very much, as you know, some Christians would say, on fire for the Lord. You know, we, she, she loved God. She loved her relationship with God. She, we love to pray together. We love to worship God together. We love to share about what we're learning in our private time with God. And, you know, I thought to myself, you know, she's such a good girl with good character. On a spiritual level, we seem to really get along. And I believe that, you know, she'd make a good wife for someone one day. I thought, hey, why not me? And, and so we started dating. But very soon into the dating, I started to have no peace about the relationship at all. And I was so confused. I was like, what's wrong and the fact is this, what was wrong was I'd only considered one area of compatibility between us. I just, folks, oh, we're, we, we get along so well when it comes to our spirituality, or when it comes to our relationship with God, but I ignored everything else. And while we got along on a spiritual level, the fact is that we were in different life stages, wanting different things. Our personalities would tend to clash when we weren't in a spiritual setting. You know, our, our family backgrounds were really different. When we were together with friends or even just on our own, it didn't feel natural at all. And what I learned from that experience was that compatibility is not just about two people getting along in one area or two areas. As, as I've learned over time is that marriage is actually the coming together of two people on every conceivable level. It's all of your strengths and all of their strengths, all of your weaknesses, all of their weaknesses, all of the ways that you are similar and different, all of your assets and liabilities, both emotionally, financially, everything, all that comes together to form something new. And if you are looking at, you know, marrying someone and you're, all your focus on is one or two levels of compatibility, that's like buying a house just because you like the front lawn 
or buying a house because you, you, know, you, you like the neighborhood, but you've never gone really you know, to look in and do your due diligence and find out, is this something that I can live in for the rest of my life? Because no, you can't sell it off again. And see, that's the thing, is that don't just consider one area of compatibility. Look at Proverbs 19, verse 2. What does it say? It says this. It says, it is not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. In other words, don't be so quick to say, oh, we connect on this level. Ding! And then, and then you think, oh, we're meant to be. No, you've got to consider every other level as well. Proverbs 18, 13, we sometimes refer to this, and it's become one of our favorite verses. I don't know why, but we'll just look at it one more time. Proverbs 18, 13 says, what a shame. Yes, how stupid to decide before knowing the facts. You know, one of the most popular, most successful online dating sites in the world today is called eHarmony. And uh, founded by clinical psychologist Neil Clark Warren back in 2000, in the past 20 years, eHarmony has been responsible for over 600,000 marriages around the world in about 150 countries. Uh, and about 4% of all marriages in the U.S. are now through eHarmony. Uh, that, that means that about every day, uh, 438 couples who meet through eHarmony get married. Every day. 438 couples. Uh, amazingly, while the divorce rate in the U.S. still hovers around about 50%, over the past 20 years, the divorce rate of people who've met through eHarmony is 3.86%. 3.86%. Why is that? How does that work? Well, first you fill out a questionnaire. Uh, it's a relationship questionnaire that consists of about 250 questions about yourself and what you're looking for. Uh, not just physical attributes, but you know, so, many different, uh, so many different areas. Then eHarmony uses an algorithm to compare your answers to its millions of other members around the world. Uh, if you want to you know, s- kind of shrink it by distance and, and locality, you can do that. And, and, and you might be wondering, how come Pastor JB knows so much about eHarmony? Let me tell you why. It's called sermon preparation, okay? In fact, even as I was going through this week and getting ready for this message and looking up eHarmony, I, I, I had to call Charlene and I said, hey, Char, uh, just in case you look at my phone and you see all these windows open to dating apps, just let you know it's sermon research, okay? I love you with all my heart. I'm not looking for love anywhere else. It's just, and she goes, I trust you, no worries. And uh, that's, that's, why we, that's why I know that much about eHarmony. But here's the thing. The question you should be asking yourself is not, why does Pastor JB know so much about eHarmony? The question you should ask yourself is, why is eHarmony so successful in matching people? It's because eHarmony has apparently created this very complex system for matching its members, not just the basis of looks and physical attraction, but on 29 areas of compatibility and character, including people's views on faith, family, finances, fitness. They call it their compatibility matching system. And so if, if, in case you're wondering, this is a bit of an aside, but if you're wondering, is it okay for Christians to, to use dating apps online? You know, let me tell it to this way, is that if you are careful, and if it is a safe, secure way, and it's something that doesn't just match you up based on physical attributes, but it is a thoughtful way of matching people based on more than just your physicality, but on, 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 on real things that matter as well, then it could be as effective, if not maybe more effective than going to the singles bar. Or, or going, you know, going on a blind date that you got matched up with. It's because, uh, you know, if you've got that tool available and you can use it in a careful, wise way, then why not? See, here's the thing. Whether you use Har- eHarmony or Match.com or, or whatever other site there is or not, whether you're not into dating apps online at all, since compatibility is about alignment in more than one area, let me ask you this question. What areas of compatibility should you be considering if you're looking for a life partner? 
What are those areas of compatibility that you should consider? Let me give you just a few of those areas that you should consider. And these are all just very real, practical considerations that will have nothing so much to do with right or wrong, more just are you right or wrong for one another. And it's going to have a significant impact on the happiness of that relationship. Let me give you a few right now. Some of them you might be, duh, but some of them are some things that maybe you've never really even thought about before. Here's the first one, physical attraction. Physical attraction. And, and see, some of you are like, duh, of course. Fact is this, is that if that's you, then maybe, just maybe you're thinking about that one too much. But here's the thing, is that if you don't think that the Bible talks about the importance of physical attraction, uh, then you're wrong. The fact is, it does, over and over again. In fact, just look at the book of Song of Songs, which is a dialogue between a bride and the groom on their wedding night. And if you read Song of Songs, we're not going to read it and quote it right now, but they're not saying, I'll just give you the synopsis, the cliff notes on it, they're not saying to each other, I love the way you journal about your, what you're learning in the Bible. Or, I, I, I love the way you lift your hands in worship. I love the way you put the envelope in the offering bag. You know, they're not saying that. They're saying stuff like, I love your lips. I love your eyes. I love your face. I love your neck. And I love all these other parts that I'm not going to mention right now. And see, that, that's what they talk about. And, and, see, and, and see, here's the thing, is that... Like, for, for some of you, you're like, well, that's, that's I, I know that. And that's, that's not the one you need to focus on. Almost like you, you need to tone that one down a little bit. But for others of you, just maybe, that hasn't been a major consideration for you. It hasn't been a consideration for you. You're just, oh, I'm all about character. I'm all about spirituality. But see, here's the thing. is Instead of over-spiritualizing things, you need to understand that this aspect of physical attraction is an important part of a romantic relationship. And it might, you might not feel it now. But you're going to feel it down the road if it's a relationship that's going to last a lifetime. Are you physically attracted to that person? Does that mean that that person has to be Canada's next top model? No. But if you have no physical attraction at all, there's going to be a passion that's going to feel, feel like it's missing from the relationship. It's about physical attraction. That's the first one. Another one is this, age and life stage compatibility. Now, don't get me wrong. When you are 90 years old and your loved one is 100 years old, if you ever live that long, it's not going to make that huge of a difference at that point. But especially over the better part of your marriage, if there is a 10, 20, or 30-year gap between the two of you, that's going to likely create some tension between the two of you that you're going to have to work through. And that's because with that age gap, you guys will be in different stages in life and likely may want different things. One of you is studying. The other one is very much into their career. One is ready to get married and have kids. The other one's like, I'm not even thinking about that. You know, one of you wants to go out and dance. The other one wants to take a nap in the armchair. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, like, it, it, it's something where you guys are in different life stages. It's not right or wrong. It's just different life stages. It might even affect the way you guys talk to one another. You know, you're, on the, you're listening to the radio. And you're, oh, my favorite Beatles song. Yeah. Wow, all right. And, and there's like, who's the Beatles? Like, you know, they're, the Beatles, they're, they're the band the 60s oh, oh i wasn't even born then oh 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 yeah oh and, and oh yeah and when you talk that way i always get so triggered triggered what you have a gun no 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 i'm, I'm just i'm triggered no no like, and, and, and you're just just miscommunications all over the place because you're in two different stages of life you've you got this age you know this age gap between the two it doesn't mean it can't work but it just means you need to be prepared to work and work a lot at it if you believe us say amen Amen. Here's another one is, um, you know, background compatibility. And that's, that's a broad one that's going to cover a lot of them. We'll, cover, we'll try to cover a few of them right now. Is that, you know, for example, when, when, when one of you grows up in a very rich family with a silver spoon in your mouth, right, straight, from the, straight from the womb, or, or you know, you, and one of you comes from a, a much poorer background, or say one of you has a doctorate degree and, you know, so, so you have a whole alphabet behind your name, and the other one didn't graduate from high school. You know what's going to happen? There's going to be a bit of a difference 
in the way that you guys see things or, or relate to one another in some ways. Don't get me wrong. I love Cinderella stories. You know, I, 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 you know, I love the film Titanic. You know, Rose, she comes, you know, oh, I won't let go, Jack. I won't. You know, and, and Rose, she comes from a, a rich, aristocratic family. Jack comes from a poor background. He's a financially struggling artist, but they fall in love, right? Uh, you know, pretty woman. You've got Richard Gere, who plays this really good-looking, rich businessman. Julia Roberts is a, a prostitute. They come from two completely different spheres of society, but they fall in love. Even Aladdin is about that kind of stuff as well. And see, here's the thing. That, that sounds great in Hollywood, but practically speaking, you got to understand, is that for broken human beings like you and for me, is that when the two of you come together from different backgrounds, whether it's socially, economically, culturally, your expectations of how life should be are going to be very different. And that includes like, what do you spend your money on and how much? How much do you save, if at all? What kind of food do you eat? at home or when you go out? What kind of clothes do you buy? What kind of house are you gonna live in? What kind of neighborhood are you gonna live in? Well, what kind of schools are your kids gonna go to? What kind of car are you gonna drive? What kind of vacations do you go on? What social circles are you guys gonna mainly hang out with? What kind of entertainment are you guys gonna enjoy together? And see, here's the thing, is that there will likely be, if there is a difference in background in those ways, if that's not right or wrong, that's fine, but the fact is, there's gonna be some uncomfortable tension from time to time that you need to be prepared to work through. If you believe that, say amen. And the same goes for not just economics or, you know, not just, you know, your social background, but, but even also stuff like, you know, your culture. If you guys come from different countries or even speak different languages, then you're going to bring in different assumptions, different traditions, and there, it's not, nothing's right or wrong. It's not a question of who's right or who's wrong. It's not that at all. But it's about are you able to work that out together when there are differences of understanding and expectation in your marriage. I'm not saying can't work, but you have to be prepared to work. See, sometimes it will feel so much like, you know, you might be like, man, this is so hard. I wish I just sort of married someone who just came from my own country or who understands me and some of the stuff so I don't have to explain everything. It can go from really exciting because they're like kind of exotic and foreign. Like, oh, she's so different. She's so exotic. She's so foreign. I find it exhilarating. And then, and it goes eventually to a few years later. Oh, she's so different. She's so foreign. You know, I find it exhausting. Right? See, here's a, that, that, it's just a very real part of relationships depending on where you come from. It's not that it can't work, but you just have to be prepared to work at it. Another one we all touched on, compatible views on finances. How do you spend? How do you save? You know, what, you, what, or what are you going to prioritize your budgets for? Are you going to even have a budget? Those are all important things to consider. Another one, family compatibility. This one is huge. See, in marriage, whether you like it or not, and as unromantic as it seems, it's not just two people coming together, but in marriage, it's two families coming together. And you're not just marrying a person, but you're marrying into that person's family. And, and so you might be very much in love with that person, but if you can't stand that person's family, guess what? It's going to have a huge impact on the rest of your life and on your marriage as well. If you love your spouse, but you find their his parents overbearing. You find their her, her parents hypercritical. You find that they're just always on your case. Then get ready for some real difficulties that you and your spouse are gonna have to work through. Now you might be like, oh well, it'll work out. You know, our love will see us through. 
right? But, but here's the thing, is that you, 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 you may be, oh, you know, I, 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 I know what to do. I, I've seen, you know, crazy rich Asians, or, you know, I, I've, I've seen Meet the Parents, or I, I've seen Monster in Law with J-Lo, and, and, and you know, I, I, I've seen these things, and I, it all works out in the end. No, not necessarily. And unfortunately, unlike Hollywood rom-coms, tensions between in-laws don't get settled in a couple hours. Tensions between in-laws can often take decades, even a lifetime, and sometimes they don't ever go away. And so if you want to minimize the amount of trouble you go through with your spouse's side of the family, or the amount of trouble that your spouse has to go through with your side of the family, you want to make it one of your requirements that you want to find someone as much as possible that is going to get along with my family. doesn't mean we're going to be buddy-buddy all the time. That's not going to be soul, soulmates, but it's about can we be cordial? Can we be polite? Can we be, be generally peaceful in our interactions with one another? If you believe us, say amen. This is very, very practical today. Another one is this, is dream compatibility. What's that? What's dream compatibility? In other words, do you guys want the same things in life? If, if you're living in, say, different cities and you're doing long distance right now and you're communicating through a screen most of the time, are you in agreement on when you guys finally get the same city, which city it's going to be in? Are you in agreement on that? Do you guys want the same things? If, if one of you has a career that is going to require that you be away for a long, long time from home, are, is the other one okay with that? You know, are you guys living for the same purpose, or are you guys pursuing two different things? You know, when Charlene and I, when we were dating early on in our relationship, this is like, I'd say probably in the first month or two of us dating, I remember uh, she was visiting me in Toronto. We're doing long distance. We had so many different iterations, versions of long distance. We had the Toronto, Boston version. We had the Vancouver, New York version. We had the Vancouver, Taiwan version. We had all these different versions. And, and during the Toronto, Boston version, which is the very first version that was like that, that was like Char and JB 1.0. And and, and we, what we did was we we went we went to a bubble tea place, and uh, I remember we got some bubble tea and we sat in the car. And this is in Toronto. And, and I remember I, I asked her, I asked Char like you know uh, you know Char I know that. Right now, I'm on track to, to practice law, to be a lawyer and all that stuff. I'm just finishing law school. I've got a job waiting for me now. But, but here's the thing is that deep down, I've always had a dream of being a pastor in Vancouver one day. And um, I just want to know, how open are you to being married to a pastor and living in Vancouver for most of our lives? And you know what her response was? Her response was, get out of the car right now. I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. No. <laughs> Does this thing unlock? Can I get No, 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 no. Um, she didn't say that. She didn't say that. She didn't say that. Um, her response was, uh, I'm open to that. I'm open to that. Because she also wanted to serve God with her life. And, and see, here's the thing. We didn't have any idea that we would be planting a church in Vancouver one day. We had no idea where life would take us, where God would take us on this journey of, you know, now almost 19 years. But the fact is that we just knew we wanted to serve God and we wanted to, to do it in the city of Vancouver. We knew that we wanted to raise a family here. And we had dream compatibility. Amen? And because we had dream compatibility, life has been something where it has been awesome. Because it's like I've got the best teammate I could possibly ask for as we pursue a dream together. We wouldn't be here as Thrive Church together without dream compatibility. Amen? 
And, and see, from personal experience, I've, I've learned that when you've got dream compatibility, it is such a powerful thing where God can use your relationship to not just bless one another, to bless others in the process as well. But if there is no dream compatibility, if one of you wants to be here, if there wants to be there, if you're in two different spheres, galaxies, when it comes to the dreams you have, then the moment you guys decide to say, I do, and stick together, there's going to be a huge part of you that feels like you're sacrificing yourself for the other person. There's going to be a huge part of you that's like, you know, it's bittersweet because I love you and I love being married to you, but I hate that I have to sacrifice my dream as a part of it. And see, again, all these areas of compatibility, they have little to do with what's right or what's wrong or who's right or who's wrong. It's more about are you right for one another. It's about how the two of you have been built. And see, here's the thing. If you're, in, if you're compatible in these areas and you got character, man, you're going to feel like the relationship you're in has got the wind behind you and you are moving forward, and life is generally easier for you in marriage. But if you find that you and that supposed love of your life, that you are not compatible on a number of these areas that we've talked about, it doesn't mean the relationship can't work, but it means that you're going to be having to work so much more to get it working. Sometimes you're going to feel like you are sailing against the wind and you just got to be prepared for a whole lot of tension in these different areas. And maybe, just maybe, you'll be asking yourself, is it really worth it? Maybe it's not. See, the next area of compatibility is a deal breaker if you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself someone who follows Jesus. It's called faith compatibility. And I want you to look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 with me right now. Could you read with a big, loud voice? One, two, three, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. See, what is this saying? It's saying this, is that you know, when we were separated from God, when we had no way of reaching God because of our sins, when imperfect, sinful guys and gals like us had no way of getting into God's holy, perfect presence, God said, you know what, because I don't want to be away from you, because I don't want to let our incompatibility get in the way of a relationship. He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins so that all of our sins could be washed away, so that all of our mistakes no longer have to separate us from God, so that we could be forgiven, we could be accepted, we could be brought back to God. Amen. And not only did Jesus die on the cross for our sins, but he rose again from the grave to show that neither sin nor death, neither our sins or one day us dying would separate us from God for eternity. It's because when you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. If you believe that, give Jesus Christ a big hand, a big shout in this place right now. Amen. 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 Turn your neighbor and say, in Christ, you're a new creation. In Christ, you're a new creation. In other words, when you receive Jesus as your Savior, you are no, you're not the same person you were before. You are a new creation. Your nature is different. You've gone from being a sinner to, in God's, God's eyes, being a righteous, acceptable saint. You, are, you go from someone who's lost in darkness to someone who's a child of God living in God's light. That is who you are regardless of how you feel. That is your identity. And, and here's the thing, is that what happens... When you take someone who is in that new identity and you combine them, match them with someone who does not share that identity, well, what you get is something called faith incompatibility. And the Bible speaks over and over and over about it, but here's probably the most famous verse on it, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 15. Read it with me, a big, loud voice. One, two, three, it says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. 
For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Like I said before, sometimes it helps to read it in a different translation. So let's read the same verses in the, uh, in the God's Word translation. Let's read it together. What does it say? It says, Stop forming inappropriate relationships with unbelievers. Can right and wrong be partners? Can light have anything to do with darkness? Can Christ agree with the devil? Can a believer share life with an unbeliever. See, what is Paul saying to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 6? He's saying this. He's saying, do not marry or get romantically involved with someone who is not a Christian, who does not believe in Jesus. Why is that? Why is that? See, say you got two people. One believes that he is a sinner who needs a savior. The other doesn't believe they're a sinner. They don't believe they need a savior. One trusts Jesus to be that savior. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and he rose again. The other one's not even sure. Did Jesus even exist? It's like Jesus is like a myth, a fiction thing, you know? One, one believes the Bible as his authority for living. I want to live to glorify God. I want to live obeying God's word. The other one's like, what's the Bible? Why, why, do we even have to, why do we have to read the Bible? Isn't the Bible just like a bunch of myths and fictions and, and just a bunch of a collection of just other people have written, human beings, flawed human beings have written? One wants to live their life for the glory of Jesus Christ. The other one is like, you know what? I, I've got other things on my mind. See, what happens when I match these two people in a relationship? What you get is called faith incompatibility. And what that results in is a series of problems that so many people who end up dating, uh, you know, someone who doesn't share the same faith, often only realize after the fact of saying yes. Here are three or four of those problems. One is this. When there is no faith compatibility, the relationship will be full of extra trouble and difficulty. See, marriage is hard as it is. But when you have faith incompatibility, it's like it becomes so much incredibly harder, multiple times harder. If you as a Christian marry a non-Christian, you're going to find that you have, I'm just speaking to the Christians in this place today, if you're you know, exploring Christianity, we love you guys, so glad that you're here, you just listen up to what we're saying today. If you as a Christian marry a non-Christian, you're going to find that a lot of trouble is going to happen when it comes to making decisions because your value systems are going to be different. For example, here's some very practical issues that you're going to need to answer together. When you get married, what kind of wedding is going to be? Is it going to be a Christian wedding? Is it? Is it going to be in a church or not? Um, What faith and values are you going to teach your kids one day? Is it Christian values? Is it atheist values? Is it agnostic values? Or are you just kind of almost kind of leave it to someone else to fill? You guys figure it out on your own. You know, if, if one day you guys are married, will you have a family that, that the, where you're raising them to believe in the Bible and you teach the Bible in your home? What's going to be the, the standard and guide for living if it's not the Bible? Well, will, will you go to church as a family every week or not? Will you pray together as a family? If so, to who are you going to pray? You know, will you tithe? Will you actually give the first portion of your income to the church as a way to tithe and to offer to God our first fruits? Will you give to world missions or will you not? Will, what if the, 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 the other person doesn't, is not just a Christian, but they follow another faith? What influence will that other faith have on your marriage, on your kids, on your family? What if that person wants to take the kids to a fortune teller or their, your mother-in-law wants to take their kids to a Buddhist temple for some kind of demonic cleansing? You know, what, what are you going to say then? You know, is divorce even an option? See, if you're a Christian couple where both of you are serious about following Jesus, the answers to these questions are easy, obvious, and non-negotiable. Yet, if you are a Christian and you are married to a non-Christian, 
None of these answers are obvious, and none of these answers are easy, and everything becomes negotiable. It becomes a lot of trouble for both of you to have to negotiate and fight and debate over all these different issues, because you're going to find that marriage between true Christ followers is hard enough as it is, but why make it so much harder by marrying someone who doesn't even believe what you believe? That's the first problem that, that comes when there's faith incompatibility. Here's a second problem that comes. When there's no faith compatibility, the Christian will end up compromising what they believe. See, perhaps you've heard of you know, success stories in the past. Oh, yeah, yeah, JB, you know, you know, I, I know of one friend uh, who, who dated or married a non-Christian, and that non-Christian eventually became a Christian. You know, and and you know, if you happen to be one of those success stories, thank God for the tremendous mercy and grace he showed to you. But remember that you are a rare case. Because for every miracle story I've heard in the past 12 years of pastoring, I've heard many, many, many more stories where the Christian becomes so tired of fighting the non-Christian, so tired of the inner struggle that eventually he just kind of gives up. Stop going to church, stop serving, stop even praying. Sometimes they even abandon their faith entirely. And I'll tell you this, I'll tell tell you point blank, the biggest killer I've seen of Christians is not they didn't read their Bible enough or they didn't go to church enough. The biggest killer of Christians I've seen is unwise relationship choices. It's the biggest, by far, by far, by far. I've seen way too many Christians stop going to church, stop serving God, sacrifice their relationship with God for the sake of someone who doesn't even believe in what they share. And, and, and see, but it's, it's understandable, though. It's because when you've allowed someone whose life is not aligned to Jesus to become the biggest influencer of your life, of course, that's bound to happen. When you allow someone who doesn't believe in Jesus, is not interested in following Jesus, to become the biggest influencer of your life, of course, compromising what you believe is just a matter of time. It's just like this. Say, you know, say I'm, I'm on a stage, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to pull you up versus you pulling me down. Which one's easier? You pulling me down is far, far easier. I, I, don't, I don't care if I work out that much. Is the fact that you pulling me up is good, me pulling you up is going to be far harder than, uh, than, 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 than you pulling me down. And that's what happens more often than not. Number three, when there is faith incompatibility, the relationship will lack the deepest form of intimacy. See, as a Christian, the deepest, most important, most core part of who you are is not the language you speak, not the culture you came from, not the country you were born in, not the job or profession you have. Your core identity, who you are at the deepest level, is that you are a child of God. That is your identity. And if you, as a Christian, you marry someone who is not a Christian, it means that when it comes to the deepest part of human existence, when it comes to the deepest part of your relationship with one another, you can't relate. There's no connection. Your partner doesn't understand you. You can't share the most important part of your life with that person. There is no intimacy when you can't do that. And see, when you go through your toughest times, you can't pray together. There's no support network there. When you have dreams of serving God and living for God's purposes, you can't really share that with the other person because they won't understand. When you experience something good going on in your relationship with God, like, oh, I feel like God is speaking to me his word. You'll you'll say that to your your spouse. You're like, what? I I have no idea what you're talking about. And see, it's almost like the deepest part of you, you're sacrificing. It, you know, in a way, you know, marrying someone, a Christian marrying a non-Christian is, is dream incompatibility. 
It's a, you're sacrificing a huge, huge, huge part of yourself. As, as Paul says in verse 15, what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And see, if you can't connect on the deepest level with the person you're married to, how compatible can your relationship really be? Your relationship is hollow at the deepest level of who you are. Finally, number four, where there is no faith compatibility, you risk misleading the other person. What do I mean by that? Say you're a Christian guy, you're dating a non-Christian girl. And if you don't tell your girlfriend up front that you will not marry a non-Christian, and you just date the person, hoping secretly that one day they're going to become a Christian, what are you doing? You are potentially defrauding the girl. Do you know why? It's because by dating her and not telling her that you need her to be a Christian before you marry her, that you won't marry a that, that you won't marry a non-Christian, what you're doing is you're giving that person the false impression that their lack of faith in Christ is not an issue for you. That, oh, we're good, we're good, we're good. Oh, until it's almost time to marry. Oh, can you be a Christian now? See, here's the thing. After she's invested all this time into the relationship, given you her heart and even parts of her body to you, then you say to her, oh, you need to be a Christian first before I'll marry you. That is sleazy. That is deceitful. That is misleading. Amen. And it's leading on the person in the worst way. It's, def- it's giving Christ and the church a bad name in the process, all because you never had the guts to wait for that girl to become a Christian before you dated her. See, if the non-Christian doesn't change, then you are in a huge dilemma because either you break that person's heart and give them the worst impression of Christians or you intentionally disobey God's word by marrying someone who doesn't even believe what you believe, compromising your faith, gambling your future, all for the sake of someone who may never, ever change. See, it's not worth it. Not only is it misleading to the other person, it's actually misleading to the younger Christians who look up to you as well. They'll be, oh, can I do that too? Can I do that? No, he does it. Can I do that? It it, it reflects poorly on your maturity as a Christ follower and what really is important to you. It's no wonder why God's word over and over warns Christians against what's called yoking yourselves to a non-Christian. That doesn't mean, yo, you can't be friends with non-Christians. It's not not that at all. We love the world. We love every single person. But when it comes to the closest form of human relationship and it comes to marriage, that you got to be super, super careful about that. It's not to limit your happiness. It's not to disrupt your future. It's to protect your destiny. It's to protect your future. It's to prevent you hurting others in the process. And so if you're dating someone who doesn't believe in Jesus and you're not married yet, can I give you the suggestion? Do not go further with that relationship until the person comes to an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and to make that adjustment, I know is awkward, I know it's painful, I know it's hard, but it will be so much more, multiple times more painful and difficult in the long, long run if you continue into marriage with that person being yoked to someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. By making that adjustment now, you save yourself and the other person so much pain and trouble, you bring clarity and you give God the room to provide you with the best life partner that he can. Amen. 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 You know, I, I don't win any popularity contests by talking about this, but it's so, so very important. See, instead, pray for a partner who loves Jesus, someone you can build a strong Christian home with. Marriage is hard enough. Don't make it more difficult. What if you're already married, and you're married to someone who isn't a believer? See, don't seek a divorce. Don't seek to leave them. The fact is that God hates divorce. In fact, you want to be the best representative of Jesus you can be to that person, trusting that one day they're going to come to know Jesus Christ personally as well. Amen. Amen. Here's a question for you today. After looking at all these different areas of compatibility, could it be that the reason why things are hard in that relationship of yours that you're worried about today 
isn't maybe because of a lack of character, but maybe it's a lack of compatibility. Maybe, just maybe, it's not because one of you is right or one of you is wrong, but maybe, just maybe, it's simply that in an area of your relationship, you guys are just not that compatible. What do you do then? Here's the last point about how to consider compatibility in a healthy way. Number three, why don't you write this down as we close today. Whenever there's a gap in compatibility, bridge the gap with something called love. Whenever there's a gap in compatibility, bridge the gap with something called love. You and I will never find someone that you are perfectly compatible with. All of us have our quirks. All of us have our flaws. We are all broken people who need a savior. And to save yourself from unnecessary trouble in marriage, you got to consider compatibility. Ask yourself, what are the ways that you and that person naturally fit together? What are the ways that we don't naturally fit together? You know, in, in my relationship with Charlene, there are ways that we are very, very compatible. And there are ways that we're not that compatible. It's the truth. It's in every relationship, it's that way. In those ways that we are really compatible, uh, you know, whether it's we both love stuffed animals or, you know, we both love to serve God, we both love our kids, we, 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 we're, we're, we're pretty crazy about one another. Like, in those ways that we're compatible, it's like that we've got the wind behind our back. It's like we're strong as a team. But in those ways that we are incompatible or different in an incompatible kind of way, you know what that is for us? It's a chance to learn to love. It's a chance to learn to love. It's a chance to be more like Jesus. See, the fact is this, God is in the business of making you more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. And sometimes he'll do that by putting you in positions where things are not comfortable, where you're gonna be stretched a little bit. And maybe you're in that kind of situation right now. You're in a situation right now when it comes to your workplace, when it comes to your health, when it comes to a relationship where you're being stretched right now. It's not because God is being cruel. It's not because God doesn't care or he's not there, but he's making you into his son, making you more like his son, Jesus Christ. And that's why people sometimes even say, if you want as many opportunities as possible to serve Jesus, stay single. But if you want as many opportunities to become more like Jesus, get married. Because, amen? Because you're gonna have so many areas where you're gonna be, you know, you're gonna be, you know, just like hitting each other in, 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 in like, you know, in, in, in different ways um, where you're gonna be finding yourselves having to adjust, having to grow, having to mature, or else you die. And so if you're married, don't use a lack of compatibility as, oh, we're just not compatible, we're not meant to be. See, if you're married already, trust that God has put the two of you together for a reason and that he's gonna use the marriage, not just to make you happy, but to make you holy. And that you will be more like Christ, learning to love someone who's very different from you. Last verse for today, Ephesians chapter five, verse one to two. Ephesians five, verse one to two. Could you read this in big loud voice? One, two, three, it says, be imitators of God therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, when we were separate from God, completely incompatible with him, God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for all of our sins. When our best couldn't meet God's most basic requirement, God didn't say, I'm done with you. Instead, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us, and he bridged the gap with something called love. And so how does that love work itself out practically in your relationship where there's incompatibility? Well, first off, if you're married here this morning, and you find that you and your spouse are not getting along in certain areas, you're not compatible in certain areas, and you've known it from the very beginning or very, very early on, you need to know there's hope in Jesus Christ. You need to know 
that there are actually ways that you guys probably are compatible that you don't even think about or are aware of. And it might be a good exercise for you together to thank God for the ways that you guys are a good team together. The, way that, the ways that you guys are compatible together. And then in those areas where you are not that compatible naturally is that you learn to be like Jesus and serve the other person ahead of your own needs. You learn to be like Jesus and love that person through thick and thin. That just as God loves you with an unconditional love, you can say, even though we're incompatible in these certain ways, I love you with an unconditional love. Amen. And in showing that, you show the love of Jesus to them. If you're dating in this place and you find that your boyfriend or girlfriend is not very compatible with you in some key areas that we've talked about today, you know, it could very well be that the loving thing to do, live a life of love could mean in this case, that rather than selfishly hanging on to the relationship because you're afraid, the loving thing to do could very well be to just say, you know what, I think the best version of love between us is not as dating couple, as a married couple, but just as friends, and to break off that relationship and let that person go. That doesn't mean that you're a failure. That doesn't mean that person's a failure. What that means is you tried, it didn't work out, it's okay. Because that's the purpose of dating, and you can always say with Jesus in your life, the best is yet to come. Amen? Trust God. Seek his kingdom first. Don't just look at character. Consider compatibility. Be willing to take a risk. And when you will do these things with faith, trusting that God has the best in mind for you, you can always say when it comes to your relationships, when it comes to your life partner, when it comes to your marriage, that the best is yet to come. If you believe that, come on, give God a big, big hand, a big shout in this place this morning. Let's all stand to our feet as we close off our service this morning. Turn neighbors, give them a high five and say, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.